Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, old sports, and welcome to the Hello, Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. It's January, and the NFL playoffs are upon us. To celebrate those NFL playoffs, Andrew and I have developed a month's worth of NFL-themed shows. And what better way to start but with a good list? If you listen to Hello Old Sports, you know that we enjoy a good list. And the next two episodes of our podcast will be devoted to the best quarterbacks for each franchise in the history of the NFL. Andrew, how are you today? I'm doing well, Dan. Um researching this was a little bit eye-opening for some teams where they're teams that have been around a long time, some a very long time, and there are drop-offs in some cases. You know, I was expecting there to be a few where, oh, between four and five, you have to figure out it's a tough decision or where there might be a team. I was, you know, I was expecting Jacksonville to be kind of slim pickings teams that haven't been around long, but there were some teams and some we'll get to tonight where I'm like, geez, there's really only two guys who have any business on a Mount Rushmore for this team. So kind of a fun exercise, you know, again, it's stuff like this is meant to spark debate. Um, I don't think we're actually planning on building 32 Mount Rushmore's, so it's more of a sort of debate <laughs> exercise. But um, yeah, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm excited to uh, to to talk about some guys that probably wouldn't be coming up too much otherwise in some of these podcasts. So we've sort of decided to combine two ideas, both of which we've done in one capacity or another. In the past, the first thing is the Mount Rushmore concept, which we did on our very first show where we did the Mount Rushmore for each city. And we picked an athlete in professional baseball, basketball, hockey and football for, I think, about a dozen or so major cities, Boston, New York, D.C., Philly, Chicago, L.A. Go back. It's our very first episode that we did. Go back and check that out if you haven't listened to it yet or if you're just finding the show. And then the other thing, and this is something that Andrew and I have done not on the podcast, but on his Monday night show, The Split Decision on Facebook Live, which is a bracket. And so we're kind of using a rule of four here, which is that there are four teams in each of eight divisions in the NFL, which is sort of perfect for a tournament. And then we're also picking four quarterbacks from each team. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with the AFC, and we anticipate that this will go two episodes. So it'll be the first episode will be the AFC. The second episode will be the NFC. And then once we pick the players for each division, we will, the four quarterbacks for each division, for each team, for each division, we'll pick a winner for each division who has the best Mount Rushmore. And then when we're done there and we've picked all 16 teams in the conference, we'll pick who is the best team 
for each conference. And then at the end of the second episode, we'll have a sort of a Super Bowl between the two best uh, Mount Rushmore's, one from each conference. So as we said, this is the first in a series of football-themed episodes that we have planned over the next several weeks here on the Hello Old Sports podcast in order to commemorate uh, the coming of the new year and the coming of the NFL playoffs. A few quick notes before we get started. First of all, we would encourage you all, as always, to like, follow, rate, comment the show on iTunes or whatever your podcast app of choice is. If you have any thoughts, suggestions, feedback, comments, you can find us on our Facebook page, Hello World Sports Podcast on Facebook. Just search us and you'll find us. And you can also email the show at helloworldsports at gmail.com. And the other thing that I wanted to mention is that we are very much hoping within the next few weeks, probably to coincide with Super Bowl week, to have a very special episode where we do a Super Bowl trivia contest uh, with a number of contestants, uh, Andrew first among them, as well as hopefully maybe some of our fellow hosts on the Sports History Network, and then maybe just some regular old fans, friends of ours, that type of thing. So no prizes to be had. Unfortunately, maybe I'll, I'll send you a, an autographed picture of Andrew and I or something if you win. But if you'd like to participate in some Super Bowl, I'm sorry? Didn't sign any eight by tens, brother. <laughs> Little wrestling joke there, which some of you who know us will probably get. And if you, um, but if you're interested in that, talk to us. Post on the Facebook page or email us at helloldsports at gmail and we will find a time and make you a part of our Super Bowl trivia extravaganza here on the. Hello, Old Sports Podcast on the Sports History Network. Andrew, did you have anything to add before we went ahead and get started? The only thing is I just want to clear up that I suggested that since these are quarterbacks, it'd be called Mount Passmore, but I I was overruled that nobody would know what I was talking about, so we're calling it Mount Rushmore even though it's quarterbacks. So I like that. I like that. All right, so why don't we go ahead and start in the AFC and what – as far as format is concerned, why don't we I'll list a team and then um, maybe we go through real quick and we talk about who we think the no brainers are and then we can sort of debate from there. Does that work for you? Yeah. And we'll go east, north, southwest as nature intended <laughs> from standpoint. Yes. So do you want to start in the AFC North? We'll start in the AFC East. The AFC East, rather. I'm sorry. You're right. With the, Let's start with bro. Let's start with the New York Jets. Okay. So you said you want to look at the no-brainers first, right? Yeah, and I guess there was – I could only think of one guy. Namath is obviously a no-brainer. Yeah, I obviously Namath is on my list, and that would be a no-brainer, yes. And then I, I kind of felt like Ken O'Brien – was kind of a no-brainer. He was the quarterback for the team for a decent chunk of the 80s. I think he was part of that 83 draft with Marino and Elway and whoever else was drafting with Jim Kelly drafting that draft too, that, that famous 1983 draft. So obviously not on par with some of those guys, but he was probably the second most long-running and consistent quarterback in Jets history. 
Yeah, he's their second leading passer in terms of yards. Uh, second in terms of games started uh, with 124. He was the primary starter from 84 to 92. So yeah, I think you would have to definitely list him. You know, certainly he's well below Namath, but he would. It would be hard to come up with a way to keep him off of there just from a pure statistical standpoint. All right. After that, I felt like it was a little bit wide open. Who were the other two that you went with? I had Chad Pennington and Vinny Testaverde. Uh, Pennington was the starter for the better part of eight years right after Testaverde. He, you know, they were a perennial playoff team, usually not a, a deep playoff team, but a lot of wild cards. Um, he was a very sort of, I don't know if even game manager gives him enough respect, but, you know, it's kind of very famous for not having a strong arm, but was a very accurate passer. Career winning record, which doesn't sound like much, but as I'm looking at the Jets franchise history, there's not too many guys who have a career winning record. And by the way, neither Namath or O'Brien are on that list as Jets quarterbacks with career winning records. So I had him. Um, and then right previous to him, Vinny Testaverde wasn't there as the starter too long. Him and Pennington sort of went back and forth after a while, but you know, was the quarterback on that 98 team where he was not the M, you know, had at least a decent case to be the MVP. Certainly getting hurt in 99 pretty much is a direct line to why they didn't have a good year that year. And I think for a guy who played on a million teams is most known as a Jet or should be. You know, I had Testaverde. I had Richard Todd instead of Pennington. Richard Todd, who was sort of Pennington's, I'm sorry, who was sort of O'Brien's immediate predecessor with the Jets, led them all the way to the AFC title game in 82. And he was awful in that game. That was the famous A.J. Dewey game where he threw three interceptions to the Dolphins linebacker, A.J. Dewey. Yeah, you know, I didn't really feel either way. Todd never made a Pro Bowl or an All-Pro team. I don't know if Pennington did. I'm guessing Pennington's just raw numbers are probably better. So Todd is third all-time in passing for the Jets' yards behind Namath and O'Brien. Here's why I couldn't justify Todd. 42-51-1 and and all-time, or career record as the Jets' quarterback. 110 touchdowns to 138 interceptions. Yeah, sure was on, you know, was the quarterback of that 82 team that was good, but that was the New York sack exchange. It was mostly about defense and then very famously killed them in that playoff game. So that's why I gave the nod to Pennington and Testaverde over him. Interesting fact, Chad Pennington was the comeback player of the year two years out of three in 2006 with the Jets, and in 2008 with the Miami Dolphins. I'll defer to you. So New York Jets, Joe Namath, Ken O'Brien, Vinny Testaverde, and Chad Pennington. Why don't we stay in New York State and talk about the Buffalo Bills? All right. Um, I would say that Jim Kelly and Jack Kemp are both no-brainers, would be my... Uh, summation of it. 
Agreed. Kelly, Hall of Famer. Career record 101 and 59 was obviously the starting quarterback on four straight Super Bowl teams. 237 touchdowns to just 175 interceptions. Obviously, the Bills' all-time leading passer by 8,000 yards and a Hall of Famer. So, I agree with Kelly. I also agree with Kemp. Kemp was a future congressman and vice presidential candidate. From a football point of view, he is also the quarterback that led the Bills to their only world titles as a member of the AFL in the 1960s. So I think if anyway, in, in some ways, just the mere fact of being the quarterback on the only championship teams in Buffalo Bills history, that's almost enough in and of itself to get you the nod, uh, especially on a team like the Bills. So those were the first two. Was there anybody else who you considered sort of a no-brainer? No. All right. Now, where'd you go third? So third, I, I went with Joe Ferguson. Um, Me too. He was the one I have listed fourth, but my third one is probably going to be a little more controversial. So I went with Joe Ferguson, was there for 11 years, 12 years, actually started more games than Kelly by just a couple. They weren't very good. This was the 70s and the early 80s. They were below 500, but still second leading passer by just in round numbers. And I know you're going to, it's not just, oh, the four guys with the most yards because, you know, you have to wait the different eras, but. Kelly has about 35,000 passing yards and Ferguson has about 27,000 and then it's all the way down to 15,000, which is Kemp who's already on there. So if almost by default, even with a losing record and more touchdowns thrown or more interceptions than touchdowns and not being on particularly great teams is still not enough guys right below him to leave him off. He's Kelly's immediate predecessor as quarterback of the Bills and also war number 12. So sometimes when you see pictures of a Bills quarterback from sometime in the mid 80s, it's sometimes hard to even know at first glance, whether it's Jim Kelly or Joe Ferguson. So I'm with you on Ferguson. Uh, Where do you go for number four? So I was very close to putting Josh Allen on here. And that was actually who I put. Okay. The the only reason I tried not to put active guys have only been on there for a couple of years. Unless there's like like Patrick Mahomes is obviously going to be on the Chiefs list. But you can certainly talk me into that. I went off the board a little bit, and I went with Doug Flutie. And the reason is we're also talking about Mount Rushmore's. So sort of thinking of guys who, while I'm not going to you know have guys who only had maybe, there's got to be some sort of longevity factor in there and like how good they were. But I just feel like the Doug Flutie is... It came in right after Kelly. He was such a, he was an old, short guy. I remember, you know, not not knowing that he had played at Boston College and was with the Bears in the 80s or the CFL. And just all of a sudden, there was this guy I'd never heard of. He looked like he was 50. I mean, I was 13 or whatever, so he just looked really old to me. Suddenly, he's this really good player. He's, like, really exuberant. He's running all over the place. Was sort of the last good Bills teams, actually the last playoff team up until um, two, two, three years ago. Um, so I just, to me, it was like, if you're asking me to pick four quarterbacks who sort of define Bills history or can most tell the history of Bills quarterbacks, I would go with Flutie, but I understand the point with going with Allen already. 
one of the strangest coaching decisions that I remember in my lifetime was in 1999 when the Bills had, like you said, had not been good for a few years since missing or since losing those four Super Bowls in the early 90s. And then they sort of went through the doldrums and a lot of the old guys left. Kelly, Thomas, Reed, Marv Levy retired, all that type of thing. And then the Bills, they bring in Flutie in 98. In 99, he's sort of established as the starter. And he plays the first 15 games of the year, leads the team to a 10-5 and record. Wade Phillips, who's the coach of the Bills, gives Flutie a game off in the last game of the season, puts Rob Johnson in the game, and for whatever reason, Rob Johnson impresses Phillips so much that he decides he's going to give Rob Johnson the playoff start, even though Phillips, had, even though Flutie had been the starter the whole year, and then they lose. Now, the way they lost was the Music City Miracle, so I don't know if you can fully blame the quarterback decision for that loss, but one of the craziest things, and it really was for those couple of years, it was sort of like a phenomenon. Here's Doug Flutie back in the NFL after all these years leading the Buffalo Bills to a playoff appearance. So, yeah, you know, that's that's a fair one. I'll 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 give you that one. I'll give you Doug Flutie. Yeah, it, it, you know, again, if so, some of these, there'll be ones where it's like, it's, it's a little off the board, but I just feel like if you're telling the story, I feel like I would have him on there. Just, just for, it was a real flash across the sky, but it was really unlike anything you were seeing at that time or, you know, really since. It's, he was kind of a unique character. And by picking Flutie over... Josh Allen, you also avoid the 4J Mount Rushmore because we have Jim Kelly, Jack Kemp, Joe Ferguson, and Doug Flutie, not Josh Allen. I feel like if we do this a year from now, it'll pretty clearly be Allen. Right now, they've still only both been in Buffalo for three years, so by next year, it'll probably be Allen. And who knows, by the time this airs uh, in a week, we're recording this on the 6th, it'll air on the 14th. Maybe Allen will do something in the playoffs this weekend to lead it in one direction or another. Yeah, and I, and I did. I tried to sort of stay away from just picking the you know four most recent quarterbacks whose numbers are good. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So. Yeah. All right, why don't we stay in the cold weather part of the division? Let's go New England. Uh, Brady's a no-brainer, obviously. And and Bledsoe's, I have Bledsoe as well. Me too. I mean, he was there for nine years and, you know, obviously the injury in 01, but Drew Bledsoe had a really good career with the Patriots that's obviously forever going to be overshadowed as being sort of the lead-in to the Tom Brady era. All right, those two definitely. Who else? So I I have Steve Grogan, who was on there, yeah, he was, you know, 75 to 90. He was there 15 games over 500 was the, is the third all time leading passer. He's got 26,000 or so Bledsoe's got 29,000. And then Tom Brady's got 74,000 touchdown to inter- interception ratio is not good, but I, I went with Grogan. And then I also went with Babe Perilli, the quarterback from the, in the AFL 1961 to 1967, um, you know, again, above 500, he's still fourth all time in passing yards for the Patriots, which is 
when you talk about stats from the 60s, it's still pretty surprising. So those were my four. I, I went with just the top four guys in terms of yardage. I did that as well. Babe Perilli, a very interesting career for Babe Perilli. He starts out on the Green Bay Packers and then leaves them for a year and then returns to Green Bay in 57 and 58. And so he was part of the quarterback. I don't know if you want to call it a controversy, but in the early Lombardi days and even before Lombardi got there, there was a number of, there were a number of quarterbacks who would go on to be solid pros. In addition to Bart Starr, you had Tobin Rote, Lamar McCann and Babe Perilli, all these guys who would end up going on to star somewhere but Perilli ends up leaving the Packers, doesn't play at all, actually, in the pros in 59, which was Lombardi's first year in Green Bay. I don't know, maybe he was out of football. Then he joins the AFL in its inaugural year, spends most of his time with what were then the Boston Patriots and plays with them for several years in from 61 to 67. And I believe, I don't know 100%, but I leave the Patriots made an AFL title game, at least one of those years. I could be wrong about that, but I think they did. And then he ends his career in 68 and 69. He was Joe, and I'm right about that. I'm sorry, 63, they did lose in the AFL championship game. And then he spends the last two years of his career in New York with the Jets, and he's Namath's backup during Super Bowl three and also in the following year. So those were my four as well. Grogan's an interesting guy in that he started he was the starter with the Patriots for like six or seven years. And then after he loses the starting job, he stays on the team and he's the backup quarterback for something like another six or seven years. So you don't often see that where a guy has a starting job for a long time and then stays on the same team as the backup. You you certainly don't see it now, but you really didn't see it then either. So I'm with you, Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe, Steve Grogan, and Babe Perilli. So that leaves the Miami Dolphins for us to round out the AFC East, it looks like. Um, Marino and Greasy, I feel like, have to be on there with minimal debate, one and two, in terms of passing yardage for the team. Although, again, Marino is almost triple the, or I guess he's, he's over double Greasy's numbers, but obviously different eras. Yeah, and we've talked about Greasy and Shula and the 70s Dolphins on this podcast in the past and how greasy was something like eight of nine in one of the Super Bowls that the Dolphins won. It was a very run oriented offense, but he obviously did enough to not only win two Super Bowls, but to eventually be elected to the hall of fame. So I feel like if a modern day guy is in the hall of fame, he's got to be pretty much a no brainer. This is sort of, I think a tale of two cities here. You got two really good guys and then, I don't know where the heck you go next. Well, this was, and this was when I, one of the teams I had in mind when I was talking at the beginning about like, wow, they've been around for 60 years and there is a drop off after the second guy, you know, just for reference, the third leading passer of all time is Ryan Tannehill for the dolphins. He was there for seven years under 500 record, you know, numbers touchdown to interceptions, really good. But you also got to remember in a hugely pass heavy era the most pass heavy era and then i was i was when i was coming up with this i was like i have a feeling i'll have jay fiedler on there 
And then I looked at my like, kid. Fiedler was only the quarterback for five years. So let me give you, I went off the board with one of these is kind of predictable and maybe a little lazy. And then one I, I went off the board with. So my, the one I'll give you first, I went with David Woodley if for no other reason than he was a starting quarterback for them in the Super Bowl. He's the only starting quarterback in a Super Bowl they've ever had who's not Greasy or Marino. Yep. So again, I was barely there. I'm not sure I feel. He was, he was 27-12-1 and one in the uh, four years he was there, and one of those was a strike year. And then... Now, was that his record as a starter, or was that the team's record in those years? I believe that's his record as a starter. Okay, not this bad. Thing, this thing usually just has their record as a starter. So, like, if you look at Don Strzok, it's listed as he was played in 163 games, but his record is 14-6 and because he was, you know, obviously a backup pretty much the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Strzok was the guy that... Woodley was back and forth with for that starting job in the pre Marino days in the eighties. So I actually, I feel less strongly about him, even though it's more of a conventional choice. The other one I'm going to give you, what's the most famous aspect of Miami Dolphins history? The most famous aspect of Miami Dolphins history. Yes. Uh, the, the, spike? Fact they, the fact that they went 17 and zero. The mm-hmm. modern era undefeated team. Mm. Greasy was hurt for a lot of that year, and Earl Morrill played. So, just I have him on the list just for the fact that he was an integral part of that undefeated team. Now, by the time the playoffs started, he was back on the bench, but considering there's not a whole lot of other options, I figured I would go a little out of the box there, and I went with Earl Morrill with uh, with the Dolphins. People don't realize now Earl Morrill is a very interesting story and I've been watching every night before bed or laying in bed. I've been watching at least in one episode, you can find them all on YouTube of those half hour Super Bowl highlight films that are done by Mm -hmm. that were done by NFL films. It still are done by NFL films. And the one I watched last night was Super Bowl five. Earl Morrill was the quarterback for the Colts throughout the 1968 season. Johnny Unitas was hurt. Morrill wins NFL player of the year. They get upset by the Jets in Super Bowl three. Two years later, they're back in the Super Bowl. Unitas is the starting quarterback. And it's crazy because when you think of Johnny Unitas, you think of the 50s or maybe the early 60s. The fact that Johnny Unitas was starting a Super Bowl in 1970 is just insane to think about. It's like, you know, it would be like if FDR was president in 1991. It just doesn't seem to fit. That's a little different. FDR had been dead for 50 years. <laughs> no. that's, that's a little different. Now, you get like, my point, well, I feel like if FDR was president in, you know, the early 60s. Like, but I get what you're saying. So that was interesting. And then... Moral win. United gets hurt in that hurt in that Super Bowl. Moral wins. Moral comes in. They win it on a last minute field goal, and then he goes to Miami. He follows Shula to Miami, where he is the starting the backup quarterback to Greasy. His first year is seventy two, and he is an All Pro in seventy two, and starts in nine games. When Greasy gets hurt, I think people don't necessarily realize just how much 
of that 72 season, Bob Greasy missed with an injury. And I believe Earl Morrill, I'm looking here, did he, he actually got playing time in the first two playoff games of the 72 playoffs. They may not have gone to, I think they didn't go to Greasy until the second half of the AFC championship. Let me look at the box score for this first round game against the, the Browns. Let me take a look at the, at the passing statistics. Yeah. Greasy was, did not play in their first round game against the Browns. And then, so they beat the Browns and then they go to Pittsburgh and moral starts the game, but they go to greasy in the second half. And then greasy ends up starting the super bowl. If all you know about those 72 dolphins is sort of what you see on the super bowl highlight film or the fact that greasy was one of the hall of famers on the team you may not realize that, but Earl Morrill, not only did he play most of the regular season, mm-hmm. he was an all pro at a crazy age. I'd have to look and see what was his age in 1972. He was 38, mm-hmm. my age, and he started a playoff game, won a playoff game, and didn't get replaced by a Hall of Famer until halftime of the AFC Championship game. So I had gone with Tannehill and Fiedler. But your your choices are definitely definitely interesting. So I'd fight more for moral than I would Woodley, to be honest. You know what? I think that I'm going to give them both to you. I, I don't feel too strongly about either Jay Fiedler or or Ryan Tannehill, especially since neither of the men ever really won much of anything. So let's go with Dan Marino, Bob Greasy, Earl Morrill, and David Woodley. And before we move on to the AFC North, let's uh, let's pick the best. I'm inclined to say New England. Well, that's that's my question. Is I mean, I feel like one through four, the strongest is probably Buffalo, but if Tom Brady at the top, so I think he and and Bledsoe is a pretty good number two. I don't think. I mean, Miami with Marino and Greasy with two Hall of Famers. I guess it's got to be New England just, but I feel like Brady's doing a lot of the legwork there. Yeah, I think you're right. And obviously this is a little different, say, than when we picked our all-time teams for the Yankees and for the New York National League because those teams, at least in theory, could have played each other. Mm -hmm. Obviously matching up four quarterbacks against another four quarterbacks. You're right. Is it a question of one to four? Is it a question of who wins, who's got the best number one and then the best number two? So that was sort of part of the fun of this for me is that I thought we would leave it sort of open-ended, but you can go a number of different ways in it. I think that you're probably right in your selection of New England with Brady, Bledsoe, Grogan, and Perilli. All right. So that's that. We're moving to the north now. Yes, let's go to the AFC North. While we get to the North, I just want to clarify a little bit because this is confusing, but we're going according to NFL history record books. So Cleveland gets everything until they left, 
and then when they came back. Baltimore is just the self-contained, since 1996, Baltimore Ravens. The old Browns go with the new Browns. So just in case anybody's confused there. And if we had to pick up just the new Browns, it would be interesting. Well, there'd be plenty of guys to choose from. <laughs> I can say that. So, so just so everybody's clear, that's where we're at on that. Where do you want to start? Um, let's start with Cincinnati, just because that's a little off the, uh, off the beaten path. Um, let me pull up my numbers here. I don't know that any of these are clearly much more locks than anybody else. So I'm just going to give you my four. I've Ken Anderson, Boomer Esiason, Andy Dalton, and Carson Palmer. Those were the four that I had too. I don't really see where else you could go. Esiason is probably the best of them. He was an MVP in, I believe it was, was it 89 or was it 88? Was it the year they went to the Super Bowl? I think it was 88, yeah. He was the MVP. Let's take a look here. He was the MVP in 88, which was the year that they went to the Super Bowl. Ken Anderson, his immediate predecessor as the Bengals quarterback, the Bengals have an interesting 80s in that they go to the Super Bowl in the very early 80s in 81 and lose to the 49ers, and then they go to the Super Bowl again in 88 in the late 80s, and again lose to the 49ers and just as Esiason was the MVP in the Super Bowl losing year of 88 Anderson was the MVP in the Super Bowl losing year of 81 so given the fact that both of those guys led their teams to the Super Bowl and won an MVP in the same year I felt like they were sort of no-brainers and then Dalton and Palmer, they just those two just kind of make it on there. Yeah, but don't sleep on either of them. Uh, Andy Dalton was the quarterback for nine years. He was the most consistent quarterback in terms of they made the playoffs almost every single year that he was there. Not every every single year, but they made the playoffs. I think more than half the time he was there. He's nine games over five hundred as the Bengals starting quarterback, which is not for a franchise that's been not great. It's a pretty strong one through four. He's second all time in passing above Boomer, above Carson Palmer, 204 touchdown passes, which edges out Ken Anderson for most in franchise history. And then Palmer, you know, I mean, first of all, if you were going to talk about anybody besides Palmer, you'd be on to Jeff Blake. So it's really not that close, but Palmer, you know, is a great, what if story came up in 04 after the Bengals had been so bad at the beginning of the century comes out of USC at the the start of that early 2000s USC uh, USC dynasty gets the Bengals into the playoffs in his second year which was like unheard of and then he gets hit by Kimo von Olhoffen in the playoff game and his career is really never the same but he's still there through 2010 154 touchdown passes 100 interceptions a lot of those years, he had Chad Johnson, and that was it. Well, he had Hushman's Otter for a while, but, you know, again, if somebody wants to argue with me about Jeff Blake or John Kitna or David Klingler or Virgil Carter or Turk Schonert, go ahead. But I think the four is pretty easy. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Ken Anderson, Boomer Esiason, Andy Dalton, and Carson Palmer. Shall we stay 
in the state of Ohio and go to the other side of the state with the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, and it's interesting because we're doing the AFC. So for the most part, we're talking about teams that came in no later than ninth or no earlier than nineteen sixty. But you have the three teams that were around in the NFL before that. Now Pittsburgh is interesting, and we'll get to them because they didn't have much history to speak of before then because they were largely terrible. So the only two where we're going like way back is Indianapolis and Baltimore, or excuse me, and Cleveland. And Cleveland's really the one where you're, you know, going deep into the archives. What are your no-brainers for Cleveland? I actually think that Kosar is a no-brainer. I think if you look at... Yeah, he's clearly, yeah. He's definitely going to be on that list. And then you have to say Otto Graham. People who follow football these days don't know a lot about Otto Graham, but even to this day when you see lists of top 10 quarterbacks of all time, more often than not, Otto Graham is on there. He was on the 100th anniversary team last year, one of the oldest players on, one of the oldest quarterbacks on that list, him and Sid Luckman. One, six or seven championships, I don't know the exact number, in both the AAFC and then once the Browns joined the NFL, Hall of Famer, played some defense too, defensive back as guides did in those days. So Otto Graham to me is definitely a no-brainer. But here's the other thing you got to know about Otto Graham. So he's still in Browns history, second in passing yardage, and he's only second by less than 150 yards from being first. His last year was in 1955. The NFL was a much different game back then. And it's not like he played for 50 years either or 27 years. He only had a 10-year career with the Browns and still his second all-time. His record was 57 and 13. And I know I'm citing wins a lot, and I don't think in the modern NFL to evaluate how good a player is, I don't think quarterback wins are a great stat. What we're doing here, I'm using wins because I think it does factor in where it's very hard to have a – if I got – like I was talking about with Tannehill – Tannehill got some pretty good numbers, but they were a 6-10 and 10 team the whole time he was there. So, again, I don't want anybody to listen to this and be like, God, he's really saying the wins a lot. I'm most, I'm, I wouldn't do that if we were having a discussion right now about whether Ben Roethlisberger is better than somebody else. You know what I mean? I'm using it just to, you know. So, anyway, his career record with the Browns, and also, obviously, if you're a quarterback for teams that are dominant – the fans are going to hold you in higher regard, which feeds into the whole Mount Rushmore thing. Uh, 57, 13, and 1. 174 passing touchdowns, again, in the 40s and 50s. 23,000-plus passing yards. So he's Graham is an automatic. Kosar is, a, you know, is, is an automatic on this list. And then the other two I have, or do you want to give me your first two or your next two? Sure. I went with Brian Seip, who was the quarterback in the early 80s. 70s and I, early 80s, yeah. 70s and early 80s. And then I also went back a little bit further, sort of right after Graham to the 60s, and Frank Ryan, who was the quarterback in 64, on the last team ever to win an NFL title. Those are the two I have. Sype is the leader in a lot of the stats for 
you know, how I said Graham is just barely not first in passing in passing yards. Snipe is number one. He's second to Graham in passing touchdowns is, you know, was the quarterback in the early 80s and 81 in the famous, what was it, Red Right 88 against the uh, Raiders when they threw the interception, when they could have kicked the field goal to win the playoff game. 80. Was it? Oh, it was 80. Okay. And I say that because 80 was Sipes' only playoff appearance, his only Pro Bowl, his only All-Pro appearance, All-Pro, you know, only time he was on the All-Pro team. And he also won MVP that year. <laughs> so. you, you, you know what I could say? I could say, well, it was January of 81. But I hate when people do that. I hate when people say like, oh, you know, the, the 87 Giants and that really good defense. I'm like, the 87 Giants started like 0-4 before strike and then whatever. It's like, they won in 87. It's like, no, it was the 86 team. It'd be like, yeah, we're doing this in 2021. But whoever wins the Super Bowl this year was the 2020 champions. So it's the same. it's the same thing as people who annoy me when you, if you get like a magazine, like a preview magazine for the year, and it gives you last year's record and it includes the playoff games. So you look and it's like, well, they went 12 and six last year. And it's like, what? No, they didn't. So anyway, that's, that was kind of a tangent, but um, a little bit. Yeah. But so <laughs> agreed Frank, on all points below. Cause again, if you look below Frank Ryan, you'd be talking about Mayfield. Who's only been there three years. Bill Nelson, Milt Plum, guys who did not start for long. So it actually, as you look, it, it, it isn't, it's pretty clearly those four. So, um, yep, Graham, Kosar, Sype, and Ryan are who I had. Yes, Otto Graham, Bernie Kosar, Frank Ryan, and Brian Sype for the Cleveland Browns. Shall we do Pittsburgh next? Let's do Pittsburgh next. Again, I feel like there's two gimmies. Uh, Terry Bradshaw and Ben Roethlisberger are both uh, pretty clearly on that uh, Mount Rushmore, correct? Bradshaw is a Hall of Famer, and Roethlisberger will be there the minute that he's eligible. I actually saw something interesting about Bradshaw just the other day. A lot of these guys on the Steelers, including Terry Bradshaw, they played well into the 80s, and you don't realize it. Bradshaw's last game was actually the very last football game at Shea Stadium, I believe in 1983, maybe? It was 83. Bradshaw had sat on the bench pretty much the entire year and then was activated at the very end of the 83 season, he only played in one game and it was at Shea stadium against the jets and he was hurt. And that was the end of his career. Chuck Knoll has always said that his bigger regret in coaching was that he stuck with some of those guys, Bradshaw and Jack Lambert and some of those other guys. He kept them on his team out of loyalty way too late into the 1980s. But I would agree Bradshaw Early on during those Steelers dynasties, they were much more of a running team, but by the late 70s, they'd become much more of a passing team. Bradshaw, MVP of the last two Super Bowls that they won and also was the NFL MVP in 1978. So the the first win of the second repeat champions of the Steelers. And by, like I said, by that point, they'd become 
much more of a passing team. So definitely Bradshaw and definitely Roethlisberger. Next one I have is Cordell Stewart. Not immediately preceding Roethlisberger, but close. Was for a while a quarterback and also a receiver and some other things. It was called very famously was Slash for a long time, but still started, you know, 75 games at quarterback. One, you know, 45 of them, 46 of them. Is the third leading passer all time for the Steelers. And then when you factor in also the running, I'm going to guess he had more rushing yards than Ben Roethlisberger or Terry Bradshaw put together. Terry Bradshaw had 2,700 rushing yards. There's no way that's, am I looking at the right thing? 2,700? No, what am I looking at here? I'm never mind. I, the thing reset on me. I thought I was in the rushing category and I what? Never mind. I just, I just his career rushing yards. You've got me curious now. Career rushing yards. Um, no, you're right. 2,257. Okay, I was still looking at the wrong thing, but that I was looking at how many yards he's been sacked for. Well, the <laughs> they're about that, even. The fact that they're about even makes sense. Um, so to me, Stewart is on there. You know, had a nice run with the Steelers. Sort of pales in comparison to the first two guys we were talking about, but still to me is 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 deserving of a spot there. And he was sort of the first guy that I remember in the modern era who was really used like that. And it was only for two years. It was really just 95 and 96. And then after that, he was, for all intents and purposes, he was just a full-time quarterback or a backup quarterback. But in, in 95, the year that they went to the Super Bowl, they used him a lot in those type of, whether it was straight up receiving or option pass type of thing, you know, sort of the way the Saints use Taysom Hill now. So it was really in the mid nineties. It was kind of eye opening the way that they utilized him. And I um, just lost my train of thought, but I'm trying to, Oh yeah. That, you know, they were a contender for a long time. They didn't get to any super bowls with him as the starter, but they had a bunch of AFC championship game appearances, sort of the knock on those early or really most of bill cowers tenure with the Steelers was they lost a lot of AFC championship games at home, but they were still getting there. And he was the quarterback for those teams. I think 97, they lost to Denver and Oh one. They obviously lost to, uh, to new England, which was the, Nobody really remembers that game because the week before was the, the tuck rule snow game. And then you had the Super Bowl two weeks later. But, you know, they, they were there a lot. They were good a lot. Um, so I, I think he goes on. He goes on the list uh, well below the top two, but he's comfortably on the list. And who are we going fourth? So I tried to find a reason not to include this guy, to be honest, and I'll explain myself. I have Neil O'Donnell on here. And the reason I tried to find a reason not to put him on there is because, again, like I was talking about, Doug Flutie was there only a couple of years, but he's like so associated with, you know, the, just that brief sort of like flash across the sky with the Bills. I'm a little hesitant to put a guy who's most, I bet if you ask almost every Steelers fan, if you say the name Neil O'Donnell, their most immediate memory of him is a negative one, which is the interception in the Super Bowl against the Cowboys. So at first I was like, man, I don't know if I can put him on this list, but you look and again, I will go back to, I don't know what the alternative is. The next closest guy to him. in a lot of these stats is like Bubby Brister. O'Donnell was still nearly 20 games above 500 
was the quarterback on those early 90s Steelers teams who kind of dug them out after you mentioned in the 80s, kind of running with some of the old guys for so long. Numbers don't blow you away, but still more touched, actually a lot more touchdowns and interceptions, 12,000 passing yards. Again, I was hesitant, but there's really, unless I was going to put Bubby Brister on, I didn't know. I felt like he has to be on there. He was bad in Super Bowl. What Super Bowl would that have been? Super Bowl 30 against the Cowboys throws three interceptions. The only guy I can think of who leaves the team the year after leading it to the Super Bowl because 95 was his last year in Pittsburgh and then he went to the Jets. We'll talk about one in a minute. But usually it's, you know, and what you have to assume is that he was asking for money. He was asking for a long-term contract and they didn't want to pay him, which is really rare for a quarterback to lead his team to the Super Bowl as a starter. We're not talking about a guy who was a backup and played five or six games and just happened to be there like a, a Nick Foles type of thing. This was a guy who had been the starting quarterback for a few years, led the team to the Super Bowl, and then they didn't want to keep him around. They didn't want to pay his asking price. The only other one that maybe popped up to me just a little bit was Bobby Lane, who was a great quarterback with Detroit and then played the last few years of his career with the Steelers, but he was really kind of a shell of himself by that point. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that Bradshaw and Roethlisberger have, you know, taken up so many years. They're probably almost a close to combined 25 or so years between the two of them that it's hard to find anybody else. So those, your four were my four as well. Terry Bradshaw, Ben Roethlisberger, Cordell Stewart, and Neil O'Donnell. All right. So let's go to Baltimore. And again, just to reiterate, we're starting with 1996 Baltimore. So, you know, just that run. It's been a pretty good 25-year run, but it has not been one that's been associated for the most part with offense. And when it has been offense, it's mostly been running. You know, you think about Jamal Lewis. You think about Ray Rice for his brief tenure. So the quarterbacks is going to be a little bit of slim pickings, maybe. This is very slim pickings. To find four. Joe Flacco is a no-brainer. Joe Flacco was the quarterback for a decade, won a Super Bowl, won. The Ravens have won. Let's see how many games the Ravens have won. He has won 96 games for the Ravens. That's well over half of the games the Ravens have won in their history if I'm doing the math right, or it might not be well over half, but it's damn close to, it's over half. Um, I saw him play in college, Joe Flacco, at the University of Delaware. He was a, my friend was a University of Delaware alumni, and I went to a Delaware game with him in 2006. They were playing Towson, and Joe Flacco was the quarterback. And if you had asked me that day, are you watching a quarterback who will one day be named a Super Bowl MVP? I would have said absolutely not. But yeah, he ended up doing it for for quite some time. Two, three, and four on the list in all-time passing yards for the Ravens are in the 7,000s. He's got 38,212 touchdowns. The next closest guy has 68. So he's easily on the list. Um on that same note, Lamar Jackson is also on my list. Um, 
again, I said I would try to shy away from guys who are on, you know, only played in a couple of years or whatever, but Lamar Jackson's been the starter for three years. He's already won an MVP. They've made the playoffs, I believe, all three years. He's been the quarterback. Um, He's actually only been the full-time starter for two years because in 2018, Flacco was still there. He's already second on their all-time list for wins as a quarterback. Fourth all-time in passing yards already. He's been there three years, and then you factor in the running. So I don't see how you can leave Lamar Jackson off. Do you have him on your list as well? I do. One MVP. None of their other quarterbacks have come anywhere near close to winning an MVP. So if he retired tomorrow, he'd still be right. he'd still be the MVP. And I think with how much time Flacco was the starter, you don't have a lot of guys who've been their starter for two or three years. So this is not recency bias. Jackson definitely, just based on what he's done so far, belongs on there. All right. Number three, I have Trent Dilfer, who was only their quarterback for a year. And I'm not just going to go, well, he won them a Super Bowl, but give me more guys who belong on there over Trent Dilfer. He was there a year, won a Super Bowl, was 7-1 and one as the starter in the regular season, and then obviously 3, if not, I think 4-0 and oh in the playoffs because they were a wild card that year. Played very well in the Super Bowl against the Giants. I know it's a bit of a stretch, only one year, but if it's going to be a guy who was there one year, that's a pretty damn good year to have. Give me your fourth. My fourth is Steve McNair. Again, only there two years. To me, the only other comp is, is Testaverde, who was there their first two years, 96, 97. Testaverde's got several thousand more passing yards. As I'm reading this, I'm going to have a hard time not going with Testaverde over McNair, to be honest. The thing that made me shy away from Testaverde at first was the record. And I know it was basically an expansion team and not his fault, but he won eight games. I, you put him out, Rushmore. Dilfer won more games, and Dilfer was only there a year. Um, the only reason I can't really go there with you with McNair is it's really one year. He's the starting quarterback in 06, and then in 07, he only starts six games. Yeah, as I'm reading it, I, I, I can give you... I'm a, You had Testaverde? I had Testaverde. All right, we'll go with Testaverde. Did you have Dilfer or... I actually did not have Dilfer. I thought about it very hard. I actually had Kyle Bowler. I think that was based more on the fact that he was the starter or at least was on the team for many years in... Starting in 03, he started Five years. 9, 16, 9, 0, and 8 games for them. He's among the leaders in passing yards. And again, that's because it's a young franchise. It does not seem they did not ever make the playoffs under his time there, or at least he never appeared they in made a play the playoffs in 06. That was this because that was the year they. They lost to the Colts in the second round. They got a bye, and I lost to the Colts in the second round. Uh, the re- so I was in college. My roommate, I had a, I was living or best friend or good friends with two brothers. One was a year older than me. One was two grades younger than me. They were both Ravens fans during pretty much the entirety of the Kyle, Kyle Bowler era, 2004 to 2007. And I'm not basing it just on these two guys. But like, there was never a time where the perception of him wasn't that he was actively terrible. <laughs> so I don't know that I that that's why to me it's 
I don't know that a Ravens fan has one positive memory of Kyle Bowler when they obviously have them of Trent Dilfer. So, yeah, you know, I fight more for Dilfer than Bowler, but you know, no, I think the winning when you get down to this level of horrible and maybe this shouldn't matter, but Dilfer actually did have some decent years, not in Baltimore. I know that we're not thinking of that. We're just thinking of the players within their own teams. But I also think in a way it's kind of hard to ignore the fact that Trent Dilfer was at least a halfway decent quarterback and Mm -hmm. Kyle Bowler was not. So for the Ravens, let's go Joe Flacco, Lamar Jackson, Vinny Testaverde and Trent Dilfer. And they get the division. Baltimore? <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, um, I was going to say. So I think we could say it's not Baltimore. And as solid as I think Cincinnati's is one to four, I don't think it's them. I think with two, again, Cleveland's got obviously a Hall of Famer and three very good starters. But Pittsburgh's got two Hall of Famers and... The thing about Cleveland is you got two guys that were MVPs as quarterbacks also. And Otto Graham historically is going to be higher up on the list than either Roethlisberger or Bradshaw. Obviously, raw numbers favor Roethlisberger. Let's go with Cleveland then. I can All right. Be- yeah, we'll go with Cleveland. Otto Graham, Bernie Kosar, Tim Ryan, and Brian Sipe. This next division is going to be interesting because you got some teams that have not been around too long. Uh, you got two teams that have not been around too long. There's a name that we're going to get to for a couple of these that are, it's, I, I did not think would be making any kind of Mount Rushmore's, but um, so let, we don't have to spoil it too much, but the, we're, we're talking about the AFC South mm. and I don't think we need to kid ourselves about who the winner Houston of this. Yeah. Houston. Exactly. Yeah, we can basically circle. So this is going to, this one's a little weird. So just to, I know everybody knows, but just to clarify, cause so the Colts is the Baltimore Colts and then the Indianapolis Colts. Jacksonville is obviously Jacksonville. Houston is the Houston Texans. And then Tennessee is the Houston Oilers and the Houston or, and then the Tennessee Titans. So if we're talking about Tennessee and we're talking about, say, Warren Moon and we say Houston, it's going to be a little tough to follow. But I know everybody who's listening to this knows, but we'll just try to be as clear as possible. Since I said the name, should we start with the Oilers slash Titans? Yeah, let's do that. And just to be clear, we're doing this. We're, this isn't necessarily the way we're choosing to do it. This is the way the league views the franchises. Yeah. So Ge- generally, when a team moves, they take all the history with them. So Houston. Oilers move to Tennessee, become the Tennessee Titans. They still have the record book and the history of the Houston Oilers. So if they wanted to do a throwback uniform of the Houston Oilers, they could. The Texans couldn't just do a Houston Oilers throwback uniform. They don't own the trademarks. They don't own the history, that sort of thing. Cleveland is different because it was part of the deal. They were such a cornerstone of the league and all that, that basically the NFL made a deal with the city of Cleveland that said, the Ravens are going to, you know, we're going to move the team to Baltimore. They're going to change their name. They're going to become a different team. All of the records and history will stay with you guys. And when you get a new team back, you can call them the Browns. 
So that's the exception rather than the rule. I wish there was more of it, but that is, you're going to see that in Seattle and basketball when the Sonics are, when they get another NBA team, because the city of Seattle has a similar deal in place where they will be the Sonics, but that's why, yeah, we're not doing it arbitrarily. That's why we're doing it that way is the official franchise history for the NFL. And closer to home for me, I think you might also see it if Montreal ever gets another team, but that's a story for another day. Do you want to start with Houston? Yes. The well, Tennessee. I'm sorry, yeah. We'll start with Tennessee. Yeah, after after our after a whole long explanation and I mess it up. Yeah. Tennessee. So Tennessee, which also includes the Houston Oilers history. Um, I have Warren Moon, Steve McNair, Dan Pastorini, and George Blanda. Yep, four for four. Those are my four also. Moon's a Hall of Famer. Blanda is a Hall of Famer, a guy who played, I believe, played from, I think his career started in the 70s, and then he played all the way until, yeah, I'm sorry, his career started in the 40s. It ended in the 70s. Blanda started with Chicago in the NFL in the 40s, then went to Houston in the 19. 19- 60s when the AFL started and won three AFL titles with the Houston, I'm sorry, two AFL titles with the Houston Oilers and then moved on to the Oakland Raiders and was, uh, he was LaMonica's backup in 68 when they went to the Super Bowl against the Lombardi Packers and then stayed with Oakland all the way through to 1975 and was sort of mostly was a kicker. He played all the way. He was on an NFL roster all the way until the time he was 48, but was getting in the game and at least throwing some passes all the way up until really the age of about 44, 45. He was coming in in these sort of emergency roles and actually did some good things. So, a guy whose career spanned four decades, two leagues, four or five different teams, a really crazy career. But when you talk about the time that he really put up good passing numbers as an NFL or as a professional quarterback, I guess I should say, that was his time in Houston. Just the other guys, you know, Moon, pass all-time leader with them uh, for passing, was there from the 84 to 93 you know, again, never made a Super Bowl. They were kind of famous as as a team that flamed out a little earlier in the playoffs than they should have. But truthfully, in that era, making a Super Bowl just meant you got your butts kicked by the NFC team anyway. So it's hard to imagine it would have been, you know, the legacy would have been that much different. But, um, you know, put up big numbers. They ran that run and shoot in the late 80s, early 90s, which sort of got maligned after that as like a gimmick offense and now is the base offense that every team in the NFL runs for the most part. Um, Another guy who was just around for a really long time. He was, Oh yeah. Minnesota, Seattle. Was he a, was he a USFL guy originally? No. Don't know. He started in the NFL in 84, but he was 28 years old by that point. He was born in 56. Maybe he was a. He was on the. No, he was in the CFL. The CFL. That's right. On the Edmonton Eskimos for six seasons, actually. Yeah, and played until 
played after he left the Oilers, three years with the Vikings, two years with Seattle, and then two years with the Chiefs, which I had no recollection of. I remember in 2000 when he started that game for the Chiefs. I was a senior in high school, and I remember my friends and I joking, can you believe that Warren Moon started an NFL game in the year 2000? Um, McNair... 95 to 05 was there from the Houston time through Tennessee, the brief Tennessee Oilers, and then into the Tennessee Titans was the quarterback of that team that went to the Super Bowl and lost, uh, you know, was a yard away from tying it up against the Rams. The only Super Bowl in franchise history. I believe split the um, MVP and maybe 02 with Peyton Manning. Um, Definitely split an MVP with Peyton Manning. I think it was 2000 and Maybe it was 03, but somewhere around then split a, an MVP with Peyton Manning. 156 touchdowns to 103 interceptions. This is just with, with the Oilers and then the Titans. And then Pastorini was a quarterback in the 70s where they you know, got good and towards the later part of the 70s were sort of a second fiddle to... Um, you know, then they, they lost at least one AFC championship game to the Steelers, maybe twice to the Steelers, but... Uh, Pretty clearly the four below that you'd be looking at guys like Vince Young and Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill now that sort of stuff. It's not a long history of great quarterback play. The only other Hall of Famer that they have that plays quarterback for them for any meaningful period of time is Kenny Stabler for a few years in the early 80s, but his best years are behind him by that point. So I'm Definitely with you on all four of those. Warren Moon, Steve McNair, George Blanda, and Dan Pastorini. Shall we go to Jacksonville next? Let's. I'm, I, I've been waiting. All right. Um, so the, the obvious one is Brunel goes up there pretty easily. Mark Brunel, right? I'm assuming you have him. Yeah, he was the quarterback during those years when Coughlin was the coach. Probably the only legitimate, their first ever quarterback in 95 had been uh, spent one year as Favre's backup in 94 and then was with Jacksonville, three-time pro bowler. Probably the only guy that you can truly classify as a good quarterback in, or at least the only one maybe you can classify as a very good quarterback in Jaguars history. The next two I'll talk about kind of played at the same time and then one gave way to the other is Leftwich and Garrard. Leftwich was only there four years, 03 to 06, but was actually there for a a couple of decent teams. I want to say the 04 team um, has a career record over 500, which is no small feat with this team. You know, a few good years, 51 touchdowns to 36 interceptions, and then Garrard came after him. And again, I think there was like one playoff berth in there that was kind of, I think in 07, they beat Pittsburgh in the wild card round. And then a lot of people were picking them to beat the Patriots in the divisional round. And I remember being like, that's not going to happen. And then it didn't. Um, did anybody end up beating the Patriots that year? I believe they did. That was just yeah. wanted to confirm that 2007 New York giants defeated them, um, which is good. Cause it was 2007. Uh, <laughs> No, I thought it was 2008. Well, it was February of 08. It was February 3rd of 08. Um, 05 was the year you were talking about uh, with Leftwich. Okay. Uh, they were they were 12 and 4 and lost in the wild card game. He actually, it's funny, um, 
I'm, I was looking at Brunel's stats and then I clicked on Leftwich. Both guys ended up going on to win Super Bowls as backups uh, in back-to-back years. Leftwich in 08 was Roethlisberger's backup with the Steelers. And then Brunel in 09 was Drew Brees' backup in New Orleans. Oh, I, I remember. I, I forgot both of those, but I remember it now. Yeah, oh, 04. Did they go 12 and 4, but had to be a wild card? You said 05, right? 05, but yes, that's correct. They were a wild card. They were 12 and 4, and they were a wild card, and they played who? Was that? Because Pittsburgh would have been the sixth seed in 05. They played, it was a Saturday night. I remember this game. I had just gotten back to college. They would have played. It wouldn't have been New England because New England, New England played Denver the next week. It was New England. It was New England okay? Twenty-eight yeah. to three. Okay, yeah, it was the. Yeah, I'm right now. I'm remembering it. So they got knocked out by the Patriots both years. And then the fourth guy is Blake Bortles. Um, it has to be. He was not great. They went twenty-four and forty-nine. He's but he's still he's second all time in passing yards. Uh, 103 interceptions. Another guy who had lots of these guys were on the team when they had one good year. Bortles was the year that year they went to the out of nowhere AFC championship game and then almost got to the Super Bowl, you know, against the Pat when they were playing the Patriots. Was bad far more often than he was good, but literally outside of these four, the next the guy who, so I'll give it, Brunel won 63 games, Bortles 24, Gerard 39, Leftwich 20. The next guy on the list of this franchise has won seven games is Gardner Minshew. Jeez. That's then, crazy. Yeah. So it, it's, it's got to be Bortles, right? I, and Leftwich, I wouldn't be surprised. Leftwich, you could see him as a head coach one day. He's the offensive coordinator in Tampa right now. So and he's five years younger than the quarterback that he coaches there. But yeah, you would, don't be surprised if you see Leftwich as a head coach somewhere someday. But you're right. That was my four as well. Mark Brunel, who's the no-brainer. Byron Leftwich, Blake Bortles, and David Garrard. All right, let's do Houston next, the Texans, and then we'll finish off with Indianapolis. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, and I have to say, as bad as Jacksonville was, Houston was worse. Yeah. So, Deshaun Watson goes on the list. He's been there for four years. He's probably the best quarterback in franchise history already. Maybe the next guy I'll mention. Deshaun Watson's on the list. And then Matt Schaub, who was the quarterback from 07 to 13. The Texans, during a lot of that stretch, and really for a lot of the last 10 years, the Texans are very good at every couple of years going 10 and six and winning the AFC South and then playing the Saturday at four o'clock wild card game against, you know, another wild card team that nobody talks too much about, you know, but that's still, he's easily there. So Schaub and, and Watson have to go. David Carr was their first quarterback from Oh two to Oh six first overall pick in the draft. Very famously in 02 was just, let me see how many times he got sacked in his career with them. Was sacked, holy shoot. Uh, you want to guess how many times he was sacked? With in five, he, so he played in, let's see how many games he played for them. He played 76 games for the Texans. For reference, you know, along those lines, Matt Schaub played in uh, 
90 games and got sacked 160 times. So you want how many? How many did Carr play in? So Shrub played in 90 and got sacked 176 times. I said right. Mm-hmm. Um, Carr played in 76 games. And how many times did he get sacked? Carr got sacked 249 <laughs> times. Oh my god! That that year, O2. I'm gonna pull up his O2 stats. He got sacked like eight times a game. I remember there was like a couple of years later when I was in college, there was like this website where they put up like funny football cartoons or whatever. And they had a David Carr pocket generator game where literally you'd like be him and you'd pick like call a run play, call a pass play, drop back. And then as soon as you snapped the ball, you just got sacked no matter what you picked. Uh, (laughs) So, so in 2002, he started 16 games. He was sacked 76 times. So that's almost five times a game. And then 05 was not much better. He was sacked 68 times in 05 in 16 games. And he played in all 16 games both times? Those two years, yeah. He missed some games in between. Well, you figure uh, just getting sacked that many times, you'd, you'd think a guy would get hurt at some point, but... Or just get tired of it. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, and then for so me- before before you go, I just want to say that you have now picked we have now picked the only three guys who were the starting quarterback for more than one year. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, David Carr, another guy who won a championship ring as a backup quarterback with the Giants, right? No, in 11. Yeah. Yeah. With in 11. That's right. So it's crazy. Be a be a bad quarterback on a or be a slightly less than terrible quarterback on a bad team and you'll eventually get to be a backup quarterback on a Super Bowl winning team. And the final one, and this is the definition of by default, like you said that you start to so get it before you start, let me just say who the three nominees here are. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick. It is Brock Osweiler and it is Brian Hoyer. Brian Hoyer, another guy who was a Super Bowl champion eventually. His would have been in 18 when he was back with New England and was the... Or no, what year did the Patriots win the Super Bowl? 17, they won the Super Bowl. No, 18. 18 Osweiler, was the- Osweiler was with the Broncos in 15. Okay, so Osweiler won a Super Bowl with Manning. We know that whole thing. And then Hoyer won a Super Bowl in 18 because 18 would have been the year that the Patriots beat the Rams. So another guy who won a Super Bowl. So anyway, Brian Hoyer, Brock Osweiler, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Those are sort of our those are our last three choices. Uh, you'll even out Sage Rosenfels, who started 10 games for them in his fourth all-time in passing. Is that who you went with? I, I did just because uh, I who, who cares? You can you can feel free to talk me out of that. I went with Osweiler Fine. For two reasons. Do, do we even want to talk about it? I'll, I'll be quick. Go ahead and give me your reasons. Two reasons. First of all, he made the playoffs. Okay. They were 9-7 and seven in 2016, won the division, and then lost in the first round of the playoffs. And then also just the fact that Osweiler, after, he, after the 15 season when he was with 
Denver and Denver won the Super Bowl and there was a whole thing. Well, he was a starter for a good chunk of the year and they benched him and they brought Peyton Manning back. He was at least to some extent sort of a valuable commodity in the NFL going into 2016. So weak logic, I'm guessing, but for those two reasons, I went with Osweiler. Fine. That's <laughs> fine. Um, All right. So our four for the Houston Texans, we have Brock Osweiler. We have Matt Schaub. We have Deshaun Watson and we have David Carr. Correct. So we're on to the Indianapolis Colts and I feel like in a lot of ways, this one can probably be quick too, because I thought this is the first one I've had so far that we've had so far that I really thought that there were three no brainers. And your three no brainers are, I'm assuming Peyton Manning, Johnny Unitas and Burt Jones. You know, I said Andrew Luck was a no-brainer. Okay. I mean, he was my fourth. I just didn't know how you were ranking them. And I didn't really rank them, but those were just... Now, obviously, Luck's career is not what it what people thought it would be in 2012. Remember during the, the whole 2011 season where teams were basically falling over each other? They did the whole suck for luck thing where everybody was trying to get his many losses as they could, which is just a sort of go into a modern, um, a modern piece of commentary here. It always strikes me as funny when you have one of these guys like Trevor Lawrence, whoever everybody thinks is going to be this can't miss and he's going to win you Super Bowls and we got to take him. I mean, luck, he really, his playoff record four and four, he retired way young before the age of 30 which was not would not have been anything anybody would have expected. So you never know, even with these guys who are these considered these can't miss quarterbacks. But I do think that from the point of view of the Colts, Unitas and Manning are two of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. And Luck gets on there as well. And then another one, Burt Jones, who was – an MVP in, I believe he was the MVP in 76, I think 76. Yeah, that's exactly right. Whenever I take one of those NFL MVP quizzes, <laughs> he is the one of the ones I usually miss. He's another one. His only pro bowl and his only all pro year are all in the same year. 1976 never wins a playoff game. So yeah, I didn't consider Jones as much of a no-brainer. He probably gets on there. Honestly, if you maybe wanted to make a case for all Earl Morrill there, you could potentially do that. But that that you could the only reason for that, I mean, he was as the starter for them, he lost three games. Um, you know, was obviously the MVP. But it, to me, it's if if you're look again, what what is the and I know it's a different city and it was 60 years ago, so you probably couldn't even find one of these. But if you went to up to an average Baltimore Colts fan and asked them about Earl Morrill, what are they going to say? Agreed. Super no, Bowl. I agree. Well, they're going to do it. No, no, no. They're going to say Super Bowl three. Don't just yeah. say agreed, because that would be a weird thing for them to say to me. <laughs> I phrased that. So, uh, yeah, it's it's. Luck, the only knock on luck is it's weird to have a guy on here whose career was disappointing. Now that speaks to how high his um, 
you know, expectations were. And his career was disappointing mostly because of injuries, you know. Um, Agreed. There was nobody who I think he was as good as advertised when they drafted him. And for years after that, it's just that he got injured so much that he decided to call it quits. So he does belong on there. It's just a little bit, again, I feel like an average Colts fan. There's always going to be that tinge of, man, it would have been nice if it worked out. It's kind of like, it's not an apt comparison, but how like, you know, a Nick fan, like you talk about Bernard King all the time. And it's like, did some awesome things, but man, if he could have stayed healthy. And I mean, I know it's not the same sport and it's a different injury. One King was one gruesome injury versus a series of injury, but it's just a little, it's tinged with that sort of remorse. You know what I mean? Well, honestly, in some ways, Ewing is analogous too because he was a guy who everybody knew was going to be the first-round draft pick. Everybody wanted him, and then he had a very, very good career, but not the legendary career that people thought he might have. So let me just real quick just to make sure everybody knows. So for the Colts, we've got Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, Gianni Unitas, and Burt Jones. And I think that we can probably safely say that it's going to be the Colts out of the AFC South. Yeah. And, and to be honest, as you look at this, the Houston Oilers, I mean, you can't kill Jacksonville and Houston too. The Jacksonville and the Titans are both only 25 and 20 year old franchises respectively. So we had some fun with it, but truthfully, I mean, it's a weird thing to think about. Like if you had to come up with some of these teams, what would the Patriots Mount Rushmore since 2002 look like? Yeah, Brady, Matt Castle, Cam Newton, and Garoppolo. Yeah, so it, it, it it's not much time to choose from. So we're having fun with it, and neither of those franchises is exactly look great from quarterbacks, but we understand there's not much time in there. To Same thing with Baltimore, really, going back to the, you know, 96 or whatever. So it's easily Indianapolis, although Tennessee, the Tennessee Titans slash Houston Oilers have some uh, – you know, have a pretty strong, not not competition to the Colts, but it's it's not a bad four there. Moon, McNair, Pastorini, and Blanda. And honestly, I think it's the all-time legendary status of Unitas and Peyton that get the Colts ahead because both have two Hall of Famers. The Colts just have the two better Hall of Famers. Gods, yeah. Um. So we now go to the AFC West, which is, you know, you talk about the AFC West and it's, AFC West has always kind of reminded me of the NFC East, where it's like teams that have been rivals forever. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, it's the old AFL. Yeah, yeah, basically it's the old AFL. Because the other four teams that are left from the original AFL are the Jets, the Titans, who've gone through a number of different iterations, and then who are the other two original? England and Buffalo, right? New England and Buffalo, you're right. Yeah, but you don't think of them as much in this sort of AFL vein. Maybe also because some of these teams, particularly the Chargers and even the Chiefs to a certain extent, some of their best moments were when they were in the AFL in the 60s. Yeah, and then Miami and Cincinnati came in towards the end of the AFL, and that was the the 10-team AFL. Where do you want to start with this? Let's start with... Let's start with the one that's probably going to be the weakest. Let's start with the Chargers. All right. Another one with two easily, which is Rivers and Fouts. And is John Hadle easily or... I mean, I have John Hadle on there, but I didn't know if you would classify that as a no-brainer. 
I don't know if I would classify that necessarily as a no-brainer, but I did have John Hadle. He was their actually their first quarterback for the first couple of years was the aforementioned Jack Kemp, but Hadle was there sort of right from the start and was their quarterback all the way up until they joined the NFL in the early 1970s, led them to what is still the only championship in team history, which is when they were part of the AFL. What year was that? Was that 63? Yeah, 63 at the time and now once again, Los Angeles Chargers that he, although they were San Diego by that point, 63, they were San Diego, led the 1963 San Diego Chargers to the AFL championship, was on the team all the way through to 1972, and then spent another couple of years with some other teams, including the Rams, where he was uh, an all pro one more time, but six time pro bowler, AFL champion up there in on the leaderboards all time for chargers, all time passing stats. So John Hadle is a a definite number three. Yep. And they then went right into Fouts after him, the whole air Coriel thing. And, you know, Fouts was obviously there for pushing 15 years and put up some big time numbers. And the other thing I would mention about Hadle is he wore number 21, which is uh, kind of strange for a quarterback. And then Rivers, you know, up until last yeah. year, Rivers was there from 04, was the starter pretty quick. Four is an interesting discussion, but I'm going to be pretty adamant about the fact that it has to be Stan Humphreys. The one right below Humphreys would probably be Drew Brees. But to be honest, if you look at every number for the freeze was with the Chargers from 01 to 05 before he went to the Saints where he still is. The six years Stan Humphreys was the quarterback compared to the five years Breeze was the quarterback. Humphreys has better numbers in pretty much every regard, much better record, more passing yards by 4,000, more touchdowns, a lot more interceptions to be fair. To me, putting Breeze here is just being clever to go like, oh, people forget he was there before he was on the Saints. It's Stan Humphreys to me, and uh, yeah, I, I agree numerically. But but you couldn't make the case for me for Breeze beyond if you couldn't count anything that happened after he left the Chargers. Agreed. The, I had I had actually gone Fouts, Rivers, and Hadel, and then this was the very one last one I picked, and I think I was just feeling kind of uh, rebellious, and so I actually put Justin Herbert on there just because I figure he's known as somebody who's got great potential, but that was probably just silly. So maybe in a year, I mean, yeah, maybe in a year, that's true. Year. But I have no quarrel with Humphreys. Was the quarterback the only time the team has ever been in the Super Bowl? So I'm fine with Dan Fouts, Philip Rivers, John Hadle, and Stan Humphreys. All right, um, we will go with that. Um, well, that just the last thing I was going to say on Breeze, like the knock on the chargers during those years was like, how is LaDainian Tomlinson on a team so good? Or how is LaDainian Tomlinson so good on a team that's so bad? And it's just, we can talk about this some other time, but it's always been interesting to me that while Phillip Rivers had a great career, the chargers had the number one pick that year and could have taken Larry Fitzgerald 
and could have had Drew Brees, LaDainian Tomlinson, and Larry Fitzgerald. Now, just do things develop exactly the same way? Who knows? But when people go like, oh, they, they did the right thing with the Eli Manning, Philip Rivers trade, it's like, no, the right thing would have been to take Larry Fitzgerald. If you're going to use hindsight, the right thing would have been to take Larry Fitzgerald and keep Drew Brees. But another digression. Um, all right. So that was the Chargers, Rivers, Fouts, Hadel Humphreys. We have the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Chiefs left. Take your pick. Let's do the Broncos. All right. You know, this is another one where the drop-off is a lot steeper than you would think. I, In sort of the abstract, before I looked at any numbers, I was like, oh, I wonder if Peyton Manning would be on the Broncos one. And then as soon as I pulled it up, I'm like, oh, he's easily number two. Like, not <laughs> only is he on there, he's easily number two on this list, right? Yeah, Elway is a no-brainer. Manning, I think. I think the thing about Manning is, first of all, he didn't have his best years with the Broncos, obviously. His best years were with the Colts. And then the end of his career was strange, the whole getting benched thing, and then he wins the Super Bowl. But really, that Super Bowl against Carolina, the defense really was the one who won that Super Bowl for them. So, and then he had also, he had that really terrible Super Bowl. What was that? Two years prior when they got smacked around by Seattle. So I think there's a lot of things. You don't realize just how good he was in those first couple of years with Denver. I'm pretty sure. Wasn't he the MVP one year? I'm pulling that. Right now, he was the MVP in 13, which would have been his first. So he, his which was the year they went to the Super Bowl and got smacked by Seattle. Yeah. So he, um, 11 was the year he was out all year. He was technically on the Colts. Then he went to Denver and in 12, I believe they were the one seed in the AFC. And that was when Denver, uh, when Baltimore beat them on like a long pass late in the game and ended up beating them in the divisional round. Then the next year they got to the Super Bowl and got destroyed. Then the year after that was the year in the second round, they got upset by uh, the Colts. And then the Colts went and played New England. And that was the deflate gate game. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The first three years he was there, he was putting up great numbers, but it was like, ah, it's really not getting them anything, you know, which kind of led to the questions in 2015. And he would, was, was, you know, wasn't the starter for a little while and then obviously comes back and wins the Super Bowl. But, you know, wins an MVP with them is obviously puts up numbers that even in just four years make him the second all-time leading passer in both yards, touchdowns, all that. Now he's obviously a distant second to Elway, but um, he's easily the second best quarterback in their history. And in 2013, he breaks Brady's single season touchdown passes record. At the age of 37, he throws 55 touchdown passes, and that's that's still the record. And it's also it's easy to sort of forget about now, but like he missed all of 2011 with like major neck surgery, where people had declared that he was going to retire instead of come back into the league. I believe Rob Lowe tweeted out that Peyton Manning was going to retire, which he like had no sort. He was just like, I've been told Peyton Manning's going to retire. <laughs> and Peyton Manning, a couple of years later, he was like, well, I don't know where that came from, but um. You know, for the for him to have that kind of a second act to his career is pretty incredible. He's you know, he's obviously a cult in memory, but got a Super Bowl with Denver. I think he's the only one uh, in the AFC that's on two different teams. I, I that looking here, he's I think he's the only one who's on two different teams. Uh so there's there's definitely a drop off after that. Where did you go third? 
I believe I went with Craig Morton. I did too. Craig Morton, um, you know, another guy, only guy besides Elway and Peyton Manning to start a Super Bowl for the Broncos. Um, was there only six years, but was good, good teams, good numbers, 74 touchdowns, just under 12,000 passing yards. Um, again, pales in comparison to two surefire Hall of Famers, but I think definitely goes on the list as number three. I agree. For those who don't know the Craig Morton story, he was the starter in Dallas for a couple of years after Don Meredith got hurt and had to retire. He was the starter in Dallas for a couple of years, was the starting quarterback in 1970 on the team that lost to the Colts Super Bowl we were talking about a few minutes ago. He was the starting quarterback on that team. And then Roger Staubach comes to Dallas and supplants Morton, but not entirely and not all at once. And even though Staubach is the starting quarterback in 71 on the team that beats the Dolphins, the following year in 72, Morton still starts all 14 games. And they were in this weird situation for a while. Tom Landry was a guy who was, he had a lot of interesting ideas about football, especially early on in his coaching career. They were alternating quarters and sometimes even alternating plays, I believe, for a couple of years between Martin and Staubach before they finally realized that it just wasn't sustainable. And then Morton leaves, actually goes to the Giants for a couple of years and then ends up in Denver. And in his very first year in Denver, leads them to the Super Bowl where they lose to Landry, Staubach, and the Cowboys. So a very interesting career. And then who do you have fourth? To me, it's between two guys. I put Jake Plummer just based on the numbers. I I had a little bit, you talk about strange ones. I had a, a brief flutter of a, of, of a very sort of strange one. I know what you going. It, it's close to being able to be possible, but I just couldn't get there. And that was? Tebow. You know, if Tebow had won one more playoff game, if they had beat New England in the playoffs in 2011, I might have done it. But it was really just... It, it was. I'm sorry? They did not. No, that was... I remember watching that game. That was a blowout. That was one of those games where, like, five minutes into it, you're like, I just got to keep drinking. because that, that, that was in the period which came to almost a, a poetic end last year where... New England always would play that Saturday night divisional game. They'd get a bye, and then they'd play the, their first game, divisional game, Saturday night. They'd win by 70, and then <laughs> maybe they'd win the AFC Championship. Maybe they wouldn't, depending on what year it was. But that was, you know, I do remember that game. It was like, whoa. That was... Uh, so who'd you go if you didn't go Tebow? I went with Plummer. Me too. Uh, to me, the numbers, Jake Plummer, he, he kind of... After Elway, they had Brian Greasy for a couple of years. And, Plummer and, led them to the playoffs three years in a row, and he he would put up some he would put up some good passing num- numbers. Greasy and Plummer have similar numbers. To me, it was just a matter of pl- the team was a lot better when Plummer was there. They played in three straight. Uh, they made the playoffs three straight times. Actually, beat the Tom Brady Patriots the one year. Again, close to Greasy, but I just think overall Plummer is uh, gets the nod over him just from a overall performance standpoint, even if Greasy's gross numbers are a little bit better. Absolutely. So for Denver, we've got John Elway, Peyton Manning, Craig Morton, 
and Jake Plummer. Raiders or Chiefs? Where are we going next? Let's go with the Chiefs. There's two gimmies to me. Len Dawson and uh, Patrick Mahomes are gimmies. Yeah, I agree on Mahomes. Now, that it'll be interesting to see. It's funny with some of these guys, the, the current players. You have to think to yourself, what if they were to retire tomorrow? Oh, Would they still be there? Mahomes, the fact that he's been an MVP and a Super Bowl winner and that offense is just so fun to watch. They were 14-2 and two this year. They're just they're doing things left and right, breaking records. And they, and they lost this past week when they weren't playing for anything. Otherwise, they would have been fifteen and one. Absolutely, and so I I would agree with Mahomes. I would agree with Dawson. It got a little interesting to me after that. I I spent a minute trying to justify Joe Montana, but I just couldn't do it, especially because he didn't play a full sixteen game season in either of those years that he was with the Chiefs. He I think he was a pro bowler one of the years and they were in the AFC championship against Buffalo, I think in 93 in his first year in Kansas city. And he had that comeback against uh, Denver. That was always very, that Monday night game where it was kind of like the last sort of glimmer of the old Montana, but I, I couldn't do it either. Not, not, not if not with two years. And I think he started 11 games. One of those years played in 11 games. So it wasn't even like he was there for all 16, either of the years. I went with Alex Smith, um, Mahomes' predecessor. I have him there, third all-time in franchise yards. Uh, had a real career. I don't want to say resurgence, but uh, you know, was with San Francisco for a long time, and it didn't seem like it was going to work out. And then at the tail end, really, they started getting it together. Then they moved him aside for Kaepernick, and goes to. Uh, Goes to the Chiefs right as Reed is getting there and really lights it up for five years. Um, you know, they win his winning percentage is basically exactly two thirds, 17,600 yards in five years, over a hundred touchdowns again in just five years. To me, definitely deserving of being on the list. I don't think it was reluctant that they moved on from him to go to Mahomes, but it it was not a decision that was done lightly. They recognized that in Alex Smith, they were giving up somebody who had done a lot for the franchise. It was controversial. There's a, a famous clip of they used to play on the Dan Libertard show of his co-host, Dugatz, doing the like, oh, you, you want to go ahead and do that, Andy Reid? You want to let Alex Smith walk out the door for Patrick Mahomes? And they keep playing it now, obviously. And obviously it was the right move, but Alex Smith, you know, and then Smith still, he's, he'll be starting a playoff game this week. But yeah, just a five-year sort of flash of, of real, hugely statistically successful numbers. And they were a perennial playoff team every one of those years or most of those years. And your fourth... I have Steve DeBerg written here, but for the life of me, I can't figure out why I went with him. Um, I, I, I don't. I think I went with him instead of Trent Green to be controversial. Uh, to be honest, because I, I can't know. I can't figure out why I went with him instead of Trent Green. Well, let's take a look. I had Green. Obviously, I'm I'm guessing that Green's numbers are much better than DeBerg's. Now, this isn't baseball, but. Uh, there's not really much black ink under DeBerg's name during his time in Kansas City. He didn't get there until he was 34. 
it's really only one, two, three, four seasons for DeBerg. I don't know why I did that, to be honest. Um, one and two in the playoffs. Let me let me look at Green real quick because that was that was the whole thing where Vermeil retired and then decided he didn't want to retire, so he went to Kansas City and then brought Trent Green back from St. Louis and real good in Oh three. I think they were, that was the year Dante hall kept returning all those touchdowns. And I think they, they were the one seed and then they were 13 and three. And then they lost in the divisional playoffs to whoever, maybe to Indianapolis. Um, yeah, I think they, cause they were the one seed and then new England was the two seed and then new England beat Indianapolis in the AFC championship game. But yeah, it's green. I, I think I was just trying to be contrary, but it's late and I don't, I'm not going to sit here and argue vehemently for uh for steve to because there's no case for it so all right so kansas city we have len dawson pat mahomes trent green and and alex smith last but not least the oakland los angeles oakland las vegas raiders this one was sort of did this did this shock you looking at these numbers like it did for me I ended up in a place I didn't think I would be. I, I didn't. So Daryl LaMonica was in my head as somebody who I thought would be on there. And I ended up with him as well. He was the mad bomber. He was the leader of the sort of freewheeling Oakland Raiders teams of the 60s. And so I went with him. I went with Kenny Stabler, who led them to their first Super Bowl win, the John Madden team in 1977, and just recently was inducted into the Hall of Fame. I think he he was not inducted. Our last week's episode, we talked about the Baseball Hall of Fame. I think Stabler had a similar kind of thing. He, He died in 15 and then was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2016. Those are the two... I had thought that I would have Jim Plunkett because he was the leader of the team in two Super Bowls in 80 and 83. I ended up not putting him on because I just felt like his numbers didn't really Do you, all right. justify it. But You put Gannon on there? I did put Gannon on there. But I, you know what? The more I think about it, I think... And then I also had Carr. Well, and that, that's the point I'm getting at is in my head, I was like, it's going to be the quarterbacks from the 70s and 80s. It's going to be LaMonica, who I guess started in the 60s. I was like, it's going to be LaMonica, Stabler, Plunkett, and Gannon. And then I pulled everything up in cars first. And I'm like, all right, I kind of expect that modern era, et cetera. And then I look and I'm like, oh, he's already 8,000 yards above everybody else. He's already 20 touchdowns past Ken Stabler. He's already, you know, clearly, I mean, his record stinks, but they stunk for a lot of his early part of his, you know, as I'm looking, I'm like, you can't justify not having Derek Carr in here. He's first in all of their categories. So then I was like, all right, Carr still goes. I still had Stabler. I still had the Monica. And to me, it came down to Plunkett or Gannon. And Gannon won that MVP in 02. But he also was awful in the Super Bowl, and that was the end of it. You know, 03 and 04, it was like, so you're talking about 99, 2000, 01, 02. And I just, I, as I was looking, I was like, Plunkett won two Super Bowls. I know the numbers aren't as impressive as Gannon's, but 
that was my hang up because I was like, by being blown away by cars numbers, I was like, oh, well, this screws up my calculations. So I went with, uh, I still went with Plunkett over Gannon, but you know, I, I'd be willing to hear if you're going to advocate the other way. Now, you know, the more I think about it, your point about that Super Bowl and how his career was basically just over afterwards, that moves me off of Gannon. So I think I was putting a little too much stock in just that one season. So I'll, I'll give you, I'll be with you on Plunkett over Gannon. So we got the three Super Bowl winners. We got, I'm sorry, we got the two Super Bowl winners, Jim Plunkett and Kenny Stabler. We got Daryl LaMonica who took them to a Super Bowl. And then we've got Derek Carr. So that is our final list. We just have to do two more things. First of all, we have to pick the winner in the AFC West. This is the toughest decision because, I mean, you're only, when you look at Denver, you have to remember you're not counting Peyton, Peyton Manning's whole career. Mm-hmm. Can't get sticker trick. But then when you look at Kansas City, you also have to remember you're only allowed to count what Patrick Mahomes has done. You can't count what you think he's going to do. And then LA, or if the, it's weird because two of them were LA at different points. You know, the Chargers, Rivers is going to be all a famer. Fouts put up crazy numbers. What's your thought on this? I go Denver because I think that Elway was a better quarterback than Len Dawson. Yeah. I think that Manning's so far. Manning's late career with the Broncos has been better than Mahomes' so far career with the Chiefs. That year that Manning put up most touchdown passes in a season all time. Yeah, to take a look at Patrick Mahomes' numbers anytime. I had the had the occasion to peruse his. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you, but I don't know. I I think that so. I mean, Manning's really only been the or Mahomes has really only been the starting quarterback. What three years? All right. That, again, he, he, to me, the rules don't apply to him. Let me see what it is. So Mahomes has been this. We won't count his one game in 2017 because that'll just muddy the waters. It's been the full-time starter the last three years. 2018, he threw for 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. Last year, he threw for 4,000 yards and 26 touchdowns. This year, he threw for 4,700 yards and 38 touchdowns. And that's passing. Let's see. You know, this hasn't come into play too much with any of these guys just because we're talking about older guys, so it shouldn't count. But, like, the ability to run does. That's part of it. Yeah. As a quarterback, his numbers are. So I think Mahomes' numbers are are close to on par as the four years Manning had with the the Chiefs or with the uh, Broncos. Broncos. I'd say that's close to a push, but at the same time, Elway does beat Dawson by a significant amount. I think Alex Smith and Trent Green beat Craig Norton, Craig Morton and Jake Plummer, though. You're not considering mm. the other two, are you? No, we're definitely not considering the Chargers and I think the Raiders. Yeah, some good guys there, but not, you know, who's you the know, player on that list? Stabler? Probably. He's the only Hall of Famer. It's tougher than I thought it would be. Yeah. You make a good case for Kansas City. Here's what I'll say. Hmm. I guess just because we've gone New England, we went New England top-heavy. We went Cleveland fairly top-heavy with Otto Graham. Indianapolis, 
was one through four, but would have been enough just with one through two. I just feel like in this case, Kansas City could be a nod to the body of work. You know what I mean? That's fair. Yeah, let's do that. We'll go. So we'll go Kansas City with Len Dawson, Pat Mahomes, Trent Green, and Alex Smith. So just a quick review here. We got New England in the east with Brady, Bledsoe, Grogan, and Perilli. We've got Cleveland in the north with Graham, Kosar, Ryan, and Sipe. We've got Indianapolis in the south with Manning, Luck, Unitas, and Jones. And then we've got Kansas City in the west, Dawson, Mahomes, Green, and Smith. Who is your choice for our AFC champion? So I'm gonna I'm gonna knock Cleveland right away. Um, not just because two through four for what we're talking about here. Everybody's top line is impressive, and I'm gonna knock Kansas City and Cleveland off right away. Not right. I gotta go with Indianapolis. It's almost impossible to beat Peyton Manning and Johnny Unitas, regardless of who the next two guys are, and the next two guys ain't weak anyway. And I actually would have knocked off New England before I knocked off Kansas City. Yeah, I didn't. That wasn't in order. That was just kind of me going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I would. It's it. Because, I mean, so, even if, yeah, if you look at like New England, okay, even if you give Brady the slight edge over Manning, and we could talk about that, it's not a, a thing you hear a lot of people talk about. So we could do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even if you said, oh, Brady's up over Manning significantly, which I isn't. It's like, okay, then Bledsoe versus Johnny Unitas. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's got to be the Colts. Um, I wonder if I can find that clip to insert from your old radio show with Andy when I said that we were headed for another Manning-Brady Super Bowl and you guys la- – or another Manning-Brady AFC Championship game and you guys laughed at me and then it happened. Well, no, that was the year because they were playing the Colts and you thought Peyton Manning was still on the Colts. No, no, it's not at all what happened. No, I knew exactly what was going on. I knew that. You you knew that they were going to go back to him. It was like a couple of weeks Osweiler was starting and. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, but I'm with you though. I think, I think Peyton Manning gets his revenge here from uh, his loss in the AFC West. I think you got to go Indianapolis. So that would be the Indianapolis, the Baltimore and Indianapolis Colts with, Gianni Unitas, Burt Jones, Peyton Manning, and Andrew Luck. Three MVPs, two world champions, two Hall of Famers, and Andrew Luck is not so bad himself. So next week I think will be a little interesting because with some of these NFC teams, the Giants and Washington, Green Bay, Chicago, we'll really probably go back quite a bit, a lot more than we did in this episode. Yep, and then again, there's ones where you're looking and you're looking at teams that have been around 70 years, and you're like, "Well, there's two good quarterbacks here." But yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of, a lot more to get into with some of those teams because for the most part, we're dealing with teams that go way or most of the teams that go way back will be the ones we're dealing with next week. There are teams that have more cities played in than good quarterbacks in their history. So, well, we did some of those today. <laughs> Jacksonville, Jacksonville's got more cities played in than good quarterbacks. <laughs> well, no, Brunel counts. Yeah, I, I know. I know. Um, anyway, um, so this was the first episode of our football January. Again, just a reminder, if you'd like to be a contestant on our trivia contest coming up, our Super Bowl trivia contest coming up at the end of the month, feel free to contact us either via email at helloworldsports at gmail.com or via our Facebook page, uh, Hello Old Sports Podcast on 
Facebook. Did you have anything else to add? No. Uh, you know, I think in our standard fashion, we figured out oh, we can, you know, record several episodes. And this has been what, almost two hours that we've gone in just the AFC. So um, we didn't disagree very much, but I have a feeling in the NFC, there might be a little more disagreement. I have a feeling you're really going to not like what I did with the Eagles. So yeah, I think, you know, it was good if people disagree with us or, or think we're way off on something, let us know. Certainly like to have the discussion, but uh, yeah, I thought it was fun. All right. Well, next week, the NFC. Until then, I'm Dan Newman. And I'm Andrew Newman. Goodbye, old sports. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.